Well, we're uh, almost at the halfway mark in our campaign. It's hard to believe that tonight will be our third small group meeting, and um, we're really excited about it. And uh, we've got we've got a few objectives with this campaign. First of all, we want to deepen relationships within our church, and secondly, we want to extend our relationships around our church. And um, God says he wants us to go through life together, not just on our own, because it's not good for man to be alone. Now, this morning, I want to talk to you about what destroys relationships and what builds them up. What destroys relationships and what builds them up. Look what it says in Romans 12, verse 5. Uh, maybe let's read that together. Christ makes us one body and individuals who are connected to each other. Christ makes us one body and individuals who are connected to each other. Without Christ, we, uh, most of us would not know each other. In fact, um, most of us here today have come from all kinds of different backgrounds, different countries, uh, different religious backgrounds, some of you, and yet here we are all together as one, connected to each other, and it's all because of Jesus, isn't it? Without Christ, uh, I wouldn't have Stan to torment me. And he just laughs. He doesn't even apologize for it. He just laughs at the whole thing. (laughs) The people you're sitting next to right now are connected to you because of Christ. Now, here's a problem. It's so easy to become disconnected from each other, isn't it? It's so easy to be disconnected from your kids. In fact, you may be sitting here today and uh, it's maybe been a while since you've talked to your children uh, because you've become disconnected somehow. Some of you have been disconnected from your parents, some disconnected from friends, family, brothers, sisters, I don't know, maybe from your spouse. It's so easy to become disconnected. How do we stay connected and how do we, how do we maintain and build the relationships that we have? I'm going to tell you something. It's not, it's not that easy unless you're going to go through life superficially. So today we want to, we, we want to ask the question, why do relationships fall apart? And how do we prevent relationships from going bad? Now, I've got a secret I want to let you in on this morning. You're, you're, you are going to have differences with people. You are going to have sharp disagreements in some cases with the people in your life. The, the only people who agree on everything are dead people. So here's the thing. If you never have a fight, if you're getting along in perfect harmony with the people in your small group, for instance, then it means either one of two things. Either you're not being honest with each other or you're all dead. Now, the purpose of the small group is to teach us relational skills. Your small group is like a laboratory for learning how to get along with each other. That's the whole point. That's what a family is. It's a place to learn how to get along with other people. Now, here's the problem. In schools, we're not taught how to have healthy relationships. Have you noticed that? There are no courses on how to, how to make friends and how to keep them. They don't have, they don't give courses like that. They do have sex education courses, however, but they don't have courses on how to get along with each other. Now, isn't that interesting? And I doubt very much that even your parents taught you how to have good relationships. They may not even know how to have good relationships themselves. 
So they never sat you down and said, here are the secrets, here are the building blocks to good relationships, and here are the things that destroy your relationships. And so what we're going to do during these weeks, this 40 days of community, is we're learning how to build relationships, we're, we're learning how to maintain them. And I want you to know today that uh, what I'm sharing with you uh, will save you literally thousands of dollars in counseling bills. <laughs> and if you want, you can just make the check out to me if you want after today, if, if your problems are solved. Uh, but here, I'm going to tell you the, I'm going to give you the solutions to having good relationships. And if you're having a problem in some of your relationships today, then I'm going to give you the, 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 the tools that you need to get those relationships right. So what I want to share with you today are four enemies of community, are four enemies of good relationships. And the first one is selfishness destroys relationships. This is the number one enemy, the number one enemy of good relationships, selfishness. It's the number one cause of conflicts, arguments, war, divorce. It's selfishness. But some dictator says, you know what, I want to I want to ha- help myself to what you've got. So what does he do? He starts a war. We saw that uh, some years back when Saddam Hussein invaded what country? Kuwait. Why did he do it? Because he wanted what Kuwait had it, what Kuwait had. And so he invaded the country. He decided he wanted to have what Kuwait had it. Now, listen, in James chapter four, verses one and two, this is what it says. What causes fights and quarrels? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. So everything, every, every, the beginning of every relational problem is selfishness. That's the beginning. That's the starting place. I was reading recently in a book, um, called, uh, uh, What's it called? How to Fill Your Bucket. It's called How to Fill Your Bucket. It's a strange, strange title for a book, but very interesting. Anyways, it tells, it tells in this book the story of the prisoners in Korean, North Korean, uh, prisoner of war camps. And they found that in these North Korean prisoner of war camps that they were experiencing the, the highest POW death rate in U.S. military history. 38% of the people in those, in those POW camps were dying. And half of them died because they had finally given up. Now you'd say, well, was there lots of, lots of torture? No, in fact, there was a very minimum of torture. That is physical torture. What the North Koreans had done is they had, they had perfected a psychological torture. And Basically, this is, this is what their objective was. It was to deny men, deny men the emotional support that comes from interpersonal relationships. And so it, so what happens is, is they, they, they cause these men, these men who were from the same country, um, fighting for the same objectives, they, they cause these men to act, actually turn against each other. And the way that they did that was by making them inform on each other, by making them criticize themselves, to, to provoke shame and distance from, from each other. They, they encouraged a breakdown in loyalty to leadership and, and country. And they withheld all positive emotional support. And so what happened, folks, is they, they, they taught these men or they forced these men to become extremely self-centered. So self-centered, in fact, that men just started dying for no apparent reason. 
50% of those 38% who died, died because they had simply given up. They had lost hope. They had lost a reason to live. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You would think that the thing that would make you happiest is by getting your own way and doing whatever you want and having things your way. But in fact, that's not the way we were built. That's not how God wired us. That's not how God designed us. We were, we were built for relationship and not just to be in relationship, but unselfish relationship. And so wherever there is selfishness, you're going to find very, very unhappy, depressed people. You know, I have people say to me all the time, you know, if there is a God, why is there such evil in the world? And I want to tell you something. I, I, I completely understand why there's so much evil in the world. And that's because the world is populated by evil people, by people who are extremely self-centered. Isn't that true? You know that. If you've had children, if you've watched babies, the first words that they utter is what? Me, 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 mine, mine, mine. And some people, they never grow up. They're saying that till, the, till, their, till their last days. Me, me, mine, mine, mine. And if they don't get their way, then they have a little tantrum, a little, a little pity party. The real issue, my friends, is this. Why is there good in the world? And I'll tell you why there's good. It's because of the fact that we have a good God. And without God, there would be no good. Because by nature... I'm not, I'm not an unselfish person. By nature, I'm a selfish person. And anybody, listen to me, anybody who has surrendered their lives to the good God, the God that we worship, is someone who learns to be unselfish. If there was no good, no God in this world, then there would be no good. He's the only explanation for good in the world. Because we are all naturally selfish. Look at that person beside you. Did you ever see anyone more selfish than that? It's true. Yeah. Look at me. <laughs> that's, that's who what we are. You know, I was reading a, another interesting little, uh, uh, it's kind of a, kind of a, a, a funny summary of marriage. And it's called the five stages of, of, of married life. And, uh, it, it tells a story about how it kind of outlines how or what happens when a young couple they're first married and one of them gets sick. Are you ready for this? In the first year, it's baby darling. I'm worried about that sniffle, so I've called the paramedics to rush you to the to the hospital for a checkup and for a good week of rest. And I know you don't like hospital food, so I'm having gourmet meals brought in for you. That's the first year. In the second year of marriage, sweetheart. I don't like the sound of that cough. I've arranged for Dr. Knotts to make a house call. Let me tuck you into bed. By the third year, it's, you look like you've got a fever. Why don't you drive yourself over to Shoppers Drug Mart and get some medicine? I'll watch the kids. By the fourth year, it's, look, be sensible. After you've fed and bathed the kids, washed the dishes, you really ought to go to bed. And by the fifth year, it's, for Pete's sake, do you have to cough so loud? I can't hear the TV. Would you mind going in the other room while this show is on? You sound like a barking dog. <laughs> One guy said, when I first got married, it used to be the, that the dog would, would, would be barking to greet me, and my wife would bring me my slippers. He goes, now the dog is bringing my, bringing my slippers, and my wife is doing the barking. <laughs> By nature, folks, we are, we're very self-centered people. 
And uh, we always see things, listen, from our own perspective. We rarely see things from other people's perspective, do we? We rarely see things from our, from our spouse's perspective. And we know that. And, and, and our culture, our culture understands that. I mean, if you look at advertising, any of the commercials you see on TV, what do they do? They always appeal to your selfish nature. Have it your way. We do it all for you. It's all about you. My friends, it's not all about you. If you're a Christian today and you want to have good relationships and you've got to start to learn and start to utter these words, it's not all about me. That's the beginning of happiness and joy in your life. When you understand it's not about you. So selfishness destroys relationships, but selflessness builds them up. Being unselfish. Which means you're not the whole center of the universe. In Philippians 2 verse 4. Look what it says. Let's read that together. Look out for one another's interests, not just for your own. That's what we call selflessness. Selflessness brings up the best in others. You know it builds relationships. In fact, listen to this, folks. If you start acting selflessly in relationships, it forces the other person in your life to change because you're not the same person anymore. I, I've been in the ministry for 25 years, and I have heard... So I can't even count the number of, of, of testimonies I've heard where a wife will, will, will be invited to a Bible study and at the Bible study she'll get saved and she'll come home and there's such a change in her life that the husband says, what on earth is going on in your life? Are you having an affair? <laughs> Why are you so different? Why are you so happy? Why are you so kind to me? And next thing you know, there's such a change in the wife that the husband becomes a Christian and, 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 and vice versa. My sister became a Christian, then I became a Christian, and it caused a chain reaction in our family. It wasn't long before my parents started going to church, and my brother and my sister, and one after another, everybody was coming to Jesus because of the transformation, the selflessness that takes place. There was a lady over at Wendy's, and maybe some of you have seen her there, but she's got a, she's got a, a very sort of gruff demeanor, and she's kind of... Uh, um, a little bit on the harsh side, and she she's always walking around with a frown on her face, and so I kind of I I I, I found that a sort of a uh, a challenge to see if I could get her to smile <laughs> and uh, to see if I could get her to talk and be nice, and uh, I always always tried to be friendly, I always to be kind to her, and uh, no, no nothing nothing nothing, and so at Christmas time. Just, uh, just maybe a week before Christmas. I said to her, you know what? You have, every time I come in here, you're here cleaning up after everybody and you're so kind. And I said, I want to give this to her. And I pulled her out a $5 bill and gave it to her. And I said, Merry Christmas to you. She said, you know, I'm not supposed to take that. <laughs> Stuck it in her pocket. Big smile on her face. She said, she said, thanks. Well, I can't go in there now without her. Do you need anything? Can I help you? Can I put away your stuff? Can I take that? Just leave my food alone and let me eat. (laughs) It's amazing what happens, friends, when you live selflessly. It transforms your marriage. It transforms your relationship with your kids. But what you've got to do is you've got to start asking the question, how can I serve you? What can I do for you? How can I help you? How can I bless you? The second enemy 
of relationships is pride. Pride destroys relationships. Look at in Proverbs 13.10. Pride leads to arguments. And if, if you watch the, the presidential race leading up to um, the, the election of Obama, President Obama, uh, you, saw, you saw some pretty nasty fighting, some pretty uh, obnoxious moments. We saw, we saw people at their worst. Why is that? Because everybody is trying to be what? They're trying to be number one. And so what happens, folks, is pride sets in. And uh, I'm gonna, I just want to share with you some of the some of the symptoms of pride. First of all, criticism. If you tend to be judgmental of other people, you tend to look down at other people, you tend to be a picky perfectionist, you've got a pride problem. Are you critical? Do you go home on Sunday and criticize the pastor, criticize the music, criticize the church, criticize everybody? Then you've got a pride problem. And if you've got a pride problem, then you've got relationship problems. Maybe you're competitive. You're always comparing your clothes, your car, your children, uh, your, your job, your title, your position, your salary. There's some people like that. Have you ever been with people like that? After you've been with them for a short time, you, you, like you want to get away and you don't want to see them again. Why? Because you don't have a relationship there. The, the pride just drives a wedge in and, you, and you, just, you just don't feel happy or comfortable around them. If you're stubborn, if you find it difficult to say, I'm sorry, if you find it difficult to choke out your apologies, you can never admit when you're wrong. Well, you've got a pride problem. And if you've got a pride problem, then you've got relationship problems, big ones. Now, I'm going to just remind everybody here today. Does everybody know what an apology is? Let me tell you what an apology is not. Apology is not. Now, if I have offended you, I'm sorry. How many know that that is not an apology? That's what politicians say, isn't it? If I've offended anybody, I have, I'm sorry. That's not an apology. If I may have offended you, puts it back on you saying, really, it's your fault for being offended, doesn't it? If you're going to apologize, you're going to swallow your pride and say, I'm sorry for this, and then say what it is that you're sorry for. An apology is, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Not if, if I may have offended you, <laughs> I'm sorry. That's not an apology. It's, it's a waste of breath. It's nothing. It's just, it's, it's saying you're the one that's got the problem, not me. How could you be so easily offended? Where there's pride, there's no relationships. Here's another symptom of pride. Sh- shallow relationships. Superficial relationships. You keep everything superficial in your, in your life and you never let anybody get close to you and you keep them at arm's length. That's pride. You don't want anybody to get too close to see who the real you is. We've all been, all been guilty of that at some time. Here's another symptom and this might surprise you. Humor. Humor keeps everything shallow. You don't let it get too deep. You keep faking it a lot and you wear a mask and you have you, you've got a real pride problem because your way of, of, of not getting close to people or not letting people get close to you by just cracking jokes all the time. You know what I'm talking about. That's a pride problem. That's a relationship problem. What's the, what's the antidote to, to pride? Everybody knows what the opposite of pride is. It's humility, isn't it? Humility, pride destroys relationships, but humility builds them up. 
Look what it says in 1 Peter 3, verse 8. Let's read it together. Live in harmony, be sympathetic, love each other, have compassion, and be humble. Now, these are five phrases. I want you to know that the first four phrases are built on that last phrase, be humble. Live in harmony. The only way you can live in harmony with people is if you're humble. The only way that you can be sympathetic to others is by being humble. The only way you can love others is by being humble. The only way you can be compassionate to others is by being humble. When I was in Bible school, uh, two guys were in the in the common room, what we called the common room, and uh, they just started out kind of like, you know, what guys do, just punch, the guy punches one in the shoulder, and the other guy punches back, laughs, ha, ha, can't you do better than that? Sure, again, a little harder, and then he's back a little harder, and and uh, now you can see their faces are turning red because uh, although they're saying it doesn't hurt, it does. <laughs> and the, these guys, these are two guys training for the ministry, remember? So here, the guy plows them back again and it gets harder and harder. Now they're really hitting each other hard. And now they're not smiling anymore. He punches him. He punches back. He pun- and he, now we see, now, those who are sitting there watching this could see that we've got a real problem on our hands. You see, their pride would not allow them not, not allow either one of them to stop and say, okay, hey, I, I quit. I, I give up. No, they couldn't do that. I didn't know what they were going to do. They punch each other until one of them was dead. I don't know what they were going to do there. But they were punching each other because one of them couldn't say, okay, I, I, I give up. I quit. So you know what it took? It took one of the guys in our class who was a very godly man, very, very humble man, and definitely not a fighter. You just couldn't see this guy lifting his fist to anyone. But you know what he did? I was standing there watching this, thinking, well, this is great. <laughs> I also am training for the ministry. <laughs> See the irony in that? But Doug, Doug stands up. And you know what he does? He, puts, he, he inserts himself right between these two guys that are punching each other. And he said, come on, guys. Let's stop now. That was one of the best sermons I ever saw in my whole life. Because with great humility... Doug stepped between these men who could not give up their pride. They'd rather kill each other than be humble. Now, just think about that for a minute and, and apply that to your own marriage, your own relationship to your kids, the people you work with. Some of us are just too proud to let it go. He throws a barb and she throws one back and he throws back even worse and then she, and then they, they say, oh, they're, they're going at it. Until one of the kids finally says, mom and dad, would you stop, please? <laughs> would you stop? Pride destroys relationship, but humility builds them up. And I'm going to tell you something. The, the basic law of relationships is, relationships is this. You become like the person you hang out with. And if, if you're hanging out with grumpy people, I can guarantee that you'll become a grumpy person. If you're hanging out with happy people, I can guarantee that you'll be a happy person. And if you wanna, if you wanna be a humble person, and I'm telling you, if you're humble, you're gonna have fantastic marriage. You're gonna have a fantastic relationship to your kids. If you're humble, it's gonna be fantastic. You, you know who you have to hang out with if you wanna be humble? You have to hang out with Jesus. On a daily basis, you need to get connected to Christ, who is the most humble of all. The third enemy of relationships is insecurity. Insecurity absolutely 
destroys relationships. Look what it says in Proverbs 29, 25. It's very simply this. Let's read it. Being afraid of what people think or what people are saying or what people feel about you. Do you know, when you're secure, all you've got to think about is, is what is the opinion of that other person? What do they think of me? And it disables your life. I know of people who can't go into a small group because they're just too insecure. They're too afraid of what the people in the group are going to say about them or think about them. What they don't know is that everybody else sitting in that small group feels the same way. Now listen to me. If you're feeling, if you're feeling a fear of what other people are saying or, or thinking about you, then it's going to severely limit your relationship to other people. Insecurity tends to cause us to try to control each other. And that, that, friends, destroys relationships. You know what I'm talking about. When you're insecure, you've got to control the environment, control the people who are around you, control how they act and what they say and what they do and what they don't do. It's always easier to recognize insecurity and pride and selfishness in other people, but we don't often recognize it in ourselves. Isn't that true? Even as I'm saying these words, you're thinking, oh, I know, boy, it sure be good if Pete could be here to hear this because this is just, this is for him. Oh, I know, well, selfishness, man, that's, Sally needs to hear that. This is for, you know what? Stop. I don't want you to think about what others need to hear. I want you to stop and think about what you need to hear. I want you to stop and consider your own heart, the condition of your, of, of your own soul. What is, what is it about you? you know, it's an amazing dilemma that as human beings, listen to this, we, we long to be close to people. We long to have intimacy. And yet we fear intimacy. We fear being close to people. We want to be close, but we don't want it. I've had friendships over the years, people I tried to be close to, and all of a sudden a wall goes up, and that's as far as it goes. You don't, you can't get any further, you can't get any closer, and you 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 you, you dance around that wall trying to get in, trying to get close, but they don't, they don't want it, but they do want it. And you know what I'm talking about? Because some of you are struggling the same way. You you want to get closer to your spouse. But you don't want to get closer. You, you've got friends. If you want to be closer to them, but you don't. It only goes so far. We want to have intimacy, but we're scared to death of having intimacy with others. Well, I'm going to tell you, insecurity is a thing that prevents intimacy. Insecurity is the thing that prevents close relationships, destroys close relationships. This is why, listen to me, this is why the church teaches young people to get married and not to live together why do people get why do, why do people live common law why do they why do, why do people choose that road i'll tell you why because they're afraid they're afraid of making that commitment and here's the thing it's it it actually is self-defeating because you say okay i'll move in with you i'm not going to marry you i'll live with you but i'm not going to marry you what you're saying is i'm afraid to make that commitment you're afraid to take that risk because you're afraid of what might happen. Well, here's the thing. You, you move in with someone, that person can easily move out because there's no commitment made. Now listen to me. 
insecurity makes it difficult for us to make commitments to each other. In fact, it's, that's, that's probably the, the number one problem that men have, believe it or not. Women find it far easier to be, be intimate with each other. Men have a difficulty. That's why men have a difficult time committing to getting married. But the Bible calls us to take that step of intimacy, of commitment, because God knows that that's what we need most, that that's the best thing for us. Insecurity destroys relationships, but love builds them up. Look what it says there, 1 John 4, 18. Read that with me. Love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we're afraid, it shows that his love has not been perfected in us. How does that work? How does love expel fear? Here's what it does. It takes the focus off of you and puts the focus on other people. That's how it makes a difference. When you love, when you love somebody, suddenly the, the focus is off of yourself. And when the focus is off of yourself, then insecurity is not a problem anymore. Because suddenly you're just concerned about the other person. People that find it easy to make relationships or make friendships with other people, you'll notice you'll, you'll find a common thread amongst these people. And that is this. They're always talking about you and asking you how you're doing. How's your job? How's your family? How's your kids? They're thinking about you. The focus is off of themselves. And listen to me. The minute you get your focus off of yourself and onto that other person, then the insecurity vanishes. And love, love moves in powerfully, mightily. And you will discover that your relationship with your wife, your children, your neighbors, your friends, all of a sudden will go to new heights. If you've been struggling with your relationships, friends, this might be the single most important thing that you do. Forget about yourself and start thinking about others. You, you fathers, you come home from work and you're tired, you're exhausted, and you're cranky. What you need to do is Forget about yourself and ask your kids how they're doing. And you watch them warm up to you and tell you, just it'll come pouring out. And you'll find a closeness and a, and a joy that you cannot imagine. And the joy comes by forgetting yourself and thinking about others. People ask me lots of times, Do you ever, are you ever afraid of speaking in front of people? Yes. I was telling somebody the other day that when I was in Bible school, I was the first one in my class of 20, 22, I think it was, 22 students. The first one, I was asked to, to preach in chapel in front of all my peers, my Bible college professors, and, the, and there was just over 100 there, 100 and, about 150 people. And I have to stand up in front of these people, which I don't know, <laughs> and i got to preach to them. I can tell you that I... Uh, I didn't eat much for three days. In fact, I, the bathroom was my, was my favorite place to visit during that time. I was extremely nervous. Had a hard time keeping anything in, if you know what I mean. And as I was praying and, and preparing and saying, God, you've called me to the ministry. How on earth am I ever going to be in the ministry and preach sermons if I feel like this every time i got to preach? I mean, I can't do this every Sunday. And God spoke to my heart and said, Alan, it's not about you. It's for the sake of those that you're speaking to. Think of them. And an amazing thing happened. I got the focus off of me and onto the people that I was speaking to. And I saw them as people beloved of God. 
And when I realized that, I began to love the people that I was speaking to. And I wasn't insecure anymore. Oh, I saw butterflies a little bit, but it radically changed how I was feeling and how I functioned. In any relationship, any place you feel nervous and insecure, when you focus on the other person, it has a power to throw fear right out of your life. That's what love does. Love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. It kicks it out. If we're afraid, it shows that his love has not been perfected in us. Now, the fourth enemy, very quickly, the fourth enemy of relationships is resentment. To worry yourself to death, Job says, with resentment is a foolish, senseless thing to do. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody sins. I sin. You sin. The Pope sins. Billy Graham sins. We're all sinners. That means I'm not perfect and you're not perfect. And guess what? Because you're not perfect and because I'm not perfect, you and I are going to let each other down. It'll never be on, on purpose. Oh, well, the odd person, the odd twisted person will do it on purpose. But for the rest of us, we just, because we're not perfect, we let each other down. And here's the thing. You can make, you can make a decision to either Forgive, or you can make a decision to hold resentment in your heart. You know, I watch, I watch people get married who are very much opposites. That person sees, uh, sees the opposite. For instance, if a person who's quiet sees a person who's loud and boisterous, he looks at that person or she looks at that person and says, wow, it's so full of life, so vivacious. You find it attractive because it's not like you. But after a year of marriage, suddenly it's, do you have to be so loud all the time? <laughs> and it starts getting on your nerves and it starts irritating you. And suddenly you feel trapped. And here's the thing. At first you were attracted and now you are attacking. Friends, God has called us, God has called us to let go of the resentment, to let go of the angry feelings. He's called us to be like Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Jesus forgives us all of our sins. Not some of them, not most of them, not 99% or 90%. He forgives all of our sins. So listen to this, friends. You, with all of your sins and all the bad things that you've ever done, if God can forgive you of all of these things that you've done, do you think that you could find it in your heart to let go of the resentment and the anger towards those who have let you down? If you can't, then, then you're a hypocrite because you're saying then that you're better than Jesus. You need to let it go. Resentment destroys relationships, but, but forgiveness builds them up. I'm going to show you a video clip in just a moment. We'll close with that. But my friends, if you're going to have long-term lasting marriages and friendships that last your entire life, you're going to have to be a forgiver. You're going to have to learn to let it go because forgiveness is letting go of the pain and letting go of my right to get even. I want you to watch this, uh, watch this example of true forgiveness. Some of you remember how that Amish community was attacked by a gunman. 
killed the children in that Amish schoolroom. I want you to see this news report. And I want you to see true Christianity in action. Go ahead, Scotty. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we want to have we want to have great relationships, deep relationships, because we belong together. We pray, God, that you would help us to live according to your word. We think of what these Amish people experienced and how there was uh, no question about the the forgiveness that they had for for the killer and and his family. God, if they could forgive the loss of those little children, God, surely the small things that irritate us are, would pale in comparison and we can forgive by your grace. We pray that you would help us to do that. Lord, that we would have strong relationships. Help us to be loving. Help us to be forgiving. Help us to be humble. Help us to be unselfish. That we may have strong and and intimate and great relationships. We pray it for Christ's sake. Would you stand with me to sing, please? Father, if there's any unforgiveness in our heart today, we want to just let that go. If we've been self-centered and selfish, we, we ask that you'd forgive us. Help focus, help us focus on others, Lord, and not on ourselves. God, if, uh, if we've been too proud to let people get close to us, we pray that you would help us let down, let down that guard because we know that by by nature, that's what we're prone to do, just keep people at arm's length. God, we pray now that you make your face shine upon us. Give us the grace, the strength to have excellent relationships with our children, with our spouses, with our friends, our neighbors, our workmates. We want that depth, Father, because that's what we're made for. 
And so we pray these things in your name. Everyone said it? Amen. God bless you.